0: We're going through the You Asked For It series. And last week's question was, do Christians still have to tithe 10% under the new covenant? Uh, And this week, it's, what is our church's view of women in leadership? Uh, This is so much fun. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, church, for asking all these nice questions and these easy questions. Uh, there's, There's a lot of good scholarly material to consider when it comes to this kind of a subject. And um, I'm just gonna make a little bit of room here so I can, uh, I can move around a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of good scholarly material and we have you know only about 20 minutes, so obviously we can't take a look at all of it. Uh, it's impossible to cover all of the, the, the research. But I'll say this right from the beginning, when it comes to any of this kind of stuff, I really do encourage you to look at the scriptures, search the scriptures, uh, look at some of the work that's been done, the body of work on the subject, and, and, and help think it through and form your own convictions. I think that's highly, uh, that, that's highly beneficial no matter what the subject is or w- no matter what we're covering. Uh, we certainly know that in the church, it is a fairly strong patriarch and hierarchical kind of structure. Very much male-driven and male-interpreted in the course of the history of the church. And so we have a lot of kind of, I think, catch-up to do in some of our theology and some of our thinking and some of our worldviews, and I want to kind of walk through some of that this morning. Uh, Just so that you know, I don't arbitrarily make up our organizational beliefs. So the house is a part of the PAOC, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. We have a pretty strong theological background behind uh, behind us, there's a, a fairly strong doctrinal statement. Everything is spelled out on the PAOC's website. If you're ever curious, what are, what are the organizational beliefs? And it kind of goes through everything in fundamental truths. And I don't know if any of you are, you like to just Google on a Monday uh, at work and, and search doctrine on the Internet. But uh, if you do, the PAOC website has quite a bit of, uh, of things on there. And it just shows you that there is a, a credible scholarly group and lots of good history behind some of our, our beliefs or most of our beliefs that, that we've formed. The other important thing is that the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, as far as an organization, is really more concerned with the, what we call the essential truths, the fundamental essential truths. There's, um, the, the church as an organization has taken the approach that we don't try to articulate every conceivable part of doctrine or every conviction or every belief in one governing document. We try to stick to the to the larger, more important things, and there's lots of room for us to uh, to kind of form some of our own convictions on some of the non-essentials. So we try to stick more to the essentials, and that really brings us to uh, to another important thing: is that we are not. I'm not under any um, you know kind of uh, delusion that all of us would agree on every element of doctrine within even this community. And even because we would have an organizational belief system as a church that we, we have to adhere to, it's part of our constitution, it's part of who, who I am as an ordained credentialed pastor, we have to have those beliefs, but we understand that even within that, there may be many of you that, that have landed at some different points and some different views on different ideas of, uh, of theology and of doctrine. And actually, we're, we're fairly comfortable with that. We welcome dialogue, we welcome discussion, we would say that iron sh- sharpens iron and, and we are better together. It's part of that value and how we live that out. Um, we, we really try to hold to those core essentials and not, not kind of wiggle on those, but there's lots of other room to form our convictions. And so um, that, all that being said is this, is that when it comes to uh, the PAOC as an organization, when it comes to our church as, a, as an organizational setup and as a structure, our position on women in leadership is that we are an egalitarian organization. We believe in the full equality between the sexes of no gender bias between male and female. Uh, PAOC ordains female ministers at the highest level of leadership, just at the same capacity as males would be ordained and can serve. The charismatic, uh, kind of that that Holy Spirit experience, which would be part of of the, the, the tribe that we would be, uh, that we would belong to, we hold pretty tightly to Joel two and Acts two, which would say that in the last days God is going to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And this is a this is a big part of our beliefs, and it's it's pretty dear to our heart. In in our own church, women can serve in every leadership position that we have, and I would say some of our most trusted. And highest capacity leaders are females. I've worked at four churches in 24 years as pastoring. And during that time, every church that I've served at has had female pastors and female ministry leaders that absolutely strengthened and benefited the church. Um, every female leader that we have serves us with the same capabilities as men would serve in that role. And there really is no difference. And so that's, that's where we kind of land and where we, we come at. Now, the bigger question, and this is where it, where it gets to, is people want to know how do we then look and interpret a few of the scriptures. There are a few that, that it, it, it's difficult. Uh, things that talk about and, and, and perceive to restrict women in public leadership roles. Uh, for instance, 1 Corinthians 14, 34, 35 really speaks about there's a commandment uh, that seems to come across where it says that women should remain silent in church. They shouldn't speak out in church. They shouldn't have a leadership role over men. They shouldn't have uh, the ability to, uh, to lead and to teach. And um, many scholars actually would recognize this. Uh, they would say this is not a prescriptive command for all women in all churches in all times. And I I would encourage you to just kind of work through some of this so you understand where we're coming from. Uh, We are not trying to manipulate scriptures and kind of massage things and change things in order to fit our belief. And there's actually a a, a method of of going through this. And um, women are shown actually in two other passages in the Corinthian uh, passages to actually be speaking in church. So either there's a contradiction in the writing or something else is being addressed here. And this is where we would uh, take our position on it. And in fact, immediately following in verse 35, uh, Paul instructs, he says, look, the the wife should ask her spiritual questions at home of her husband. And and it uses a strong word, says because it's disgraceful for her to speak out in church or in public. And um, this is some pretty strong words. But... Most scholars interpret this to mean that, that um, some of the women did not understand what was being instructed and what was being said, and so they were perhaps blurting out now we don 't know all of these things because we 're just reading a few scriptures there 's a few isolated scriptures, we 're trying to make sense out of it. and the way we interpret it is that it, it seems to read that perhaps there were some women kind of blurting out, and there, were, there was an interruption and a distraction, and it was taken away from the service in fact. All of this passage of Scripture, not just these two verses, all of this passage of Scripture is speaking about order in worship. That's the context of what we're talking about. And Paul says, look, there's, there's an order. There should be, things shouldn't get out of control. And he says, and, and women, when you speak, you shouldn't blurt out. You should, you should speak to your husbands at home if you don't understand. And actually, here, here's, here's, um, here, here's the way it's perceived. And I don't, I don't think this is a spin. We just don't know. We don't know all of the things that were going on, but it has been suggested, could it be, that actually in the New Testament church, women were receiving and experiencing more freedoms and more equality than they ever had their whole life or in the rest of culture, and they were not allowed to speak or or act in certain ways all throughout culture in every capacity, and then they come to church, and then their, their opinions matter. And in the spiritual community, they can have some roles in leadership. And in fact, some of them are used as prophets and leaders. And, and the, the suggestion is that it perhaps it's... When I was a youth pastor, I remember going on retreats and uh, taking kids away. And I, I remember in Calgary, we took some kids to the, uh, to the West Edmonton Mall. Uh, never, ever, ever take a group of junior hires to West Edmonton Mall. It is a bad idea. And um, we had kids... Okay, junior hires, like 13 years old, with like $50 spending money in their pocket, never been away from home on their own before. They were going, like, I mean, it was $50 in the candy store in the first three minutes, and they were just consuming. Like, it was, they were out of control. And um, that's a funny way to illustrate the point that it is perhaps the women in the church were receiving so much freedom, That they didn't know how to keep everything in balance, and they were so excited that they could speak out, that they did have an opinion, that they could be involved in discussion and theology, that they just kind of blurted it out. And in the scope of all of these verses, it's one of the things that is mentioned to say, look, just keep things in order. That's the most important thing. And so the thought is that this had become a distraction. And the entire passage is about speaking and keeping things in order. So we don't exactly know what was happening or why Paul wrote it, but we understand it to read that Paul was addressing a specific issue, and it's not a unilateral commandment for all churches in all time. And there are a few other passages which are like this. It's difficult. They're they're hard passages to figure out, a few of these isolated verses. And I said there's a a method and there's a part of how we do it. And it's this. It's that we don't approach... um, a few isolated scriptures that appear to say one thing and then position our entire theology on a subject and enforce that and impinge that on all the other scriptures and all the other examples and all the other precedents. In fact, what we do is we form a holistic worldview, we look through scripture, we see how are women in leadership and how are women in scripture portrayed, what are the examples, what are the precedents, and that informs our view as we then interpret a few of these difficult passages. And I will say this, that there's different ways to land on these things, and um, you form your own convictions, but organizationally, we are an egalitarian organization, okay? Now, this is where we get it from. We, we take our position from scripture, we look at three different things. The first is the creation narrative. In Genesis 1:26-28, 28, there's this image of God applied to both male and female equally. In Genesis 1:26-28 again it says that both share dominion and rule over the earth equally. And in Genesis 2:18 the scripture is the Lord God said it is not good for man to be alone I will make a helper suitable for him. So in our male-driven patriarchal history of the church the traditional way of interpreting the scripture is to actually place Eve in a subordinate role to Adam. The connotation is that Adam is the superior one to Eve and her value and her function is merely as Adam's helper. She's in this subordinate role. In fact, Eve is often portrayed as the weaker of the two or the weaker sex. And it's important to know that the Hebrew word used here is Azer. And Azer and it, the way Azer is interpreted into the English is not really, we don't use it in much the same way as it's used in scripture. In the Hebrew scriptures, is used a total of 21 times. This word is used 21 times. In two times, it speaks of Eve as Adam's helper. Three times, it speaks of Israel as a nation, or as a people, receiving military aid from another power, from another military force in order to help them and save them. And 16 times, it's used to describe God's help in the life of those who believed in him. And so when Azer is used in scripture, it is very important to know this, that the one who is receiving the help is actually more dependent and perhaps it could be viewed is weaker than the one who is giving it. So just let that kind of sink in and save that one, wives, for later. (laughs) Put that bullet in your gun. Hold on to it. The the Azer help from God was it was a necessity. It was, it was totally needed for the people of God. They could not exist without it. There is no scriptural use of the word Azer. There is no sense that the one receiving the help is in any way superior to the one giving the help when this word is used. Nowhere in the Genesis narrative... Now remember, this is kind of pre-fall. This is creation. This is the way God intended us to be in our relationships. Nowhere in the Genesis narrative does the word "azer" infer that Adam was above Eve in in the creation. She was created equal. So you may be surprised to hear that the Hebrew wording that calls you man's helpmate actually places more emphasis on your strength as a woman and it places an emphasis on the man's need for your help. This is, this is our origins. And so a lot of these things have been interpreted differently and positioned differently, but this is what we see in the creation narrative, okay? So there's a couple of things I said. One is in the creation narrative. This is our origins and our beginning, the way God created us and, and originally designed us. The other are the precedents we see in other biblical scriptures and biblical examples. Women are shown as active leaders in, in God's people in both the Old and New Testament. It's not an exclusive, even New Testament-only thing. Huldah, shown in in 2 Kings 22, 2 Chronicles 34, recognizes one of the most influential prophets and leaders of her time. She is the one that was chosen. Now, in her contemporaries, there's Jeremiah, Zephaniah, uh, Nahum, and Habakkuk are all contemporary prophets. She is chosen above them to verify and authenticate the Word of God as it's discovered in the temple. Micah 6 talks about Miriam, listed as a prophet and one of the three leaders sent by God to lead Israel. Judges 4 and 5, Deborah is listed as a prophet and a judge and leadership over Israel. In the New Testament, Priscilla is listed as a theologian and a a church planter. She is instructing, she is seen instructing another apostle and helping him understand She's also involved with her husband giving leadership to a church that they had planted. Phoebe is listed as a deacon and an elder. Junia is identified as being an outstanding apostolic leader in the early church. There are many other biblical examples of women serving in leadership roles. And for us, it's a non-issue for women to serve in leadership. And we would believe this. When we say we're better together, part of that means male and female relationships respectfully working together, living together, and working together for the kingdom of God. So we do not exclude females from leadership roles or even from teaching roles in our church communities as part of our culture. Uh, I'm going to get the team to come. We're going to get ready to, to close up today, and we're going to actually worship together in a minute and, and pray for the baptismal candidates. But it really does kind of lend us, I think, how in the world does a, 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 talking about women And female leadership roles and equality bring itself around to baptism. And what do the two have in common? Well, the equality is not only seen in the Genesis narrative. It's not only seen in biblical precedents that we see all through Scripture. But it's also seen in the cross. And that is what baptism is. is really a declaration of the cross and a belief in Jesus. So check this out. Galatians 3 says this in verse 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. It says this, there is no longer, okay, in the the church, in the family of God, in the body of Christ, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the cross is one of the most powerful declarations of equality for all humanity. The cross declares value, equal value on every person. It does not matter race or ethnic background. It does not matter if you are rich or poor. It does not matter if you are a popular hipster or marginalized and overlooked. It does not matter if you are male or female. The cross is an equalizer. And it's been said that the, 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 the foot of the cross is level ground. None are positioned higher than the other. All are equal. This is the declaration of Jesus. Now, here's the thing, is Jesus and the work of the cross is actually part of that is to restore us and to redeem us and bring us back to life without judgment and the curse of sin. And what theologians believe is much of the tension and the fighting and the, and the dissension between male and female relationships is a result of the fall and the curse of sin. And Jesus came to set us free from those things. And there's a restorative nature in the cross. There were very, very, very few sociopolitical organizations that would have ever made a statement in the time of Jesus and the early church to say male and females are equal, perhaps the only one. And when the church is very often accused of being stuck in the dark ages and being restrictive and chauvinistic, and all, certainly there are pockets and there are things, there are scriptures misused that could fit that. But it is very possible to actually look at the church differently and look at the Christian church differently and say, it from the very beginning has been very progressive and been very inclusive. There's lots of examples of bad things in the Bible and how women were treated. We can't justify all of it and make it all wash away, but um, it's a difficult issue. It's, a, it's an issue that comes up in our culture and in our media today. And I would say this, that one of the greatest things is to remember that Jesus declared value over male, female equally, he declared value over everybody equally. It doesn't matter your race or your ethnic background. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter. It only matters that Jesus loves you and he gave his life for you. And you know, when we're in a baptismal tank like that, we are all equal. And we are all adopted into the same family. We are all adopted into a giant, blended, dysfunctional, messy, glorious family. But we are better together. And our differences do not need to cause us to have distance but we can respect and honor one another and admonish one another and encourage one another. We can be different. You will not agree with everything I preach or with everything Ed preaches or with everything that's taught We know that. We come from lots of different backgrounds, lots of baggage, lots of hurts, lots of stuff. Some of us are way down the road on some issues and some of us are just like, we're not even sure we even wanna, we wanna get in on that discussion. Could we be a community of grace where we make room for everyone? Who doesn't want to be a part of a community that would say we're better together? And so this morning, we want to pray for our baptismal candidates. And we're going to do it this, way: we're going to have them, have them come in, in, in just a minute. And uh, as they come, we're going to get some of you as friends and family uh, to come and stand with them. And we're going to pray for them. And um, as we do that, the team is going to lead us in a, in a worship song together. Why don't you stand? Let's worship back and respond back to God as part of his family. Celebrate that equality in Jesus. I'm going to have the baptismal candidates come. Come and find a, a spot up here. Rocio is going to come. Brian's going to come. And, um, and then we'll have some of your friends come. When, when we're done the song, worshiping together, we'll pray together. Why don't you go on the other side?